And you, you know, where people are like, ah, he's not, he's never going to make it. And I think that goes back to what we're talking about with, you know, if you have that high trust level with your athletes, I've seen more guys make it that I've had a high trust level than the ones where I didn't spend the time and get to know them from that personal human level. That was Kurt Hester, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, SimplyFaster.com. There's two items I'd like to talk to you about today that you can find in Simply Faster's online store. Whether you're a coach or an athlete, these are both things that you'll find highly useful as tools in your training toolbox. The first is blood flow restriction training methods. And after hearing about blood flow restriction training for years now, as well as the results that athletes are getting with it, especially in, for example, uh, lactate sports like swimming, 100 meter freestyle, and not only hearing of that, but also seeing how much some swimmers had liked that type of training method, I knew I had to start trying it out myself. So uh, I've been utilizing the airbands. I really enjoy it, both the feeling while I'm actually training with them, as well as seeing the visual result of spending time training with the methods and then the strength result. Uh, they've been a really cool training tool, and I would definitely recommend checking into airbands. Uh, SimplyFaster.com also has Be Strong brand blood flow restriction. The second item is the VMAX Pro. And this is a new option for velocity-based training, barbell tracking. It provides valuable load-based data, including speed in all phases of a lift, and it delivers key metrics such as power, velocity, distance, as well as duration of effort. The VMAX Pro system measures any lift you can think of. It's portable, durable, and intuitive. You can check out these two items and much more at our sponsor, simplyfaster.com's online store. Let's get on to the show. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, and thanks for being here. When it comes to training athletes, we have the specific side of things. So whatever their sport is, the tactics, the technique, the skills that are all dealing with the sport on a specific level. And then we have the more general side. How do we prepare an athlete physically to express those skills at their ideal level? And when it comes to physical preparation, strength and conditioning, whatever you want to call that duty as a coach it's really important to think of it and to understand it as not just not just we're preparing the athlete for sport, but we are preparing the human being for sport. We are interacting with the human being and training an athlete on a human level. And it is cool to think of sports-specific transfer, but I think it is equally cool, if not more so many times, to think about how am I impacting this individual on a level that actually goes beyond the specific sport that they compete in. Our guest today is the kind of strength coach that I wish I had when I was a young athlete. Funny enough, I actually didn't have a strength coach at all uh, in either high school or college, which is kind of funny. I mean, I guess my track coach was my strength coach. But yeah, if I would have had a strength coach, I would have wanted it to be Kurt. Kurt has not only been studying and living the art of physical training for almost half a century, but he also has a focused sense of how to train individuals on both the athletic and the human levels. Kurt is currently the head of football preparation at the University of Tulane, and he was previously the head strength coach at Louisiana Tech from 2013 to 2021. Kurt has decades of experience in coaching in both the collegiate and the private sectors, and he's the author of the book, Rants of a Strength and Conditioning Madman. I actually brought up uh, a piece of that book in my recent chat with Nick Winkleman on Kurt giving out surveys to his athletes to learn more about them, not just athletically but who they were on the human level. And so on the show today, Kurt is going to give us some great advice, some wisdom on training athletes and connecting with athletes on that human level. He'll be talking about that survey, that getting to know them, that relationship element, that it isn't just something that's nice in a program that, oh, they, they trained and it was nice that I got to know this person. But Kurt talks about how that can be not only a game-changing, but also a life-changing opportunity as a coach. Kurt will also address using games and fun activities in the course of training to improve not only the, the emotional content or the fun in training sessions, but also he'll describe the total effect that integrating games and fun has on the athletes in their physical preparation. Finally, Kurt will dig into some details around the sports performance industry itself, uh, what he considers mental toughness to truly be, 
and Kurt will give his advice on developmental practices in leadership and communication. No matter where you are on the coaching spectrum, even if you're not in, I guess you could say, strength and conditioning, personal training, that kind of world, even if it's sport coaching, if you're an athlete, wherever you are, these principles are universal. And it was super enjoyable to chat with Kurt about these topics. I really enjoy learning from him. He has so much wisdom and experience in the world of athletic development. And I know you guys will enjoy this show. Let's get on to episode 297 with Kurt Hester. Kurt, it's awesome to have you on the show. Could you start off by sharing with us a little bit about, you know, I talked with Nick Winkleman about like mining your athletes for, for information and being able to have an exchange of knowing more about them. And I remember in reading your book, like something that was just so cool that I saw was the survey that you give out to your athletes when they set, when they get in the gym or before you start training them. Could you share a little bit about, about that survey, how you, like the things that brought it about, like how you thought about it and what you learn about your athletes before you actually start training them? Uh, you know, it's just when I got to Louisiana Tech, I didn't, you know, I was, a, I was the last guy hired and I didn't even, I had to keep the staff. I didn't even know my staff. The whole coaching staff just left. Like this is in May, end of May, starting summer training. And so, I mean, it, it, I had no roster. I had, you know, I mean, nothing. Just I walked in first day, guys are standing there. And I said, man, I just, you know, I've got to learn these guys really fast if and get them to trust me really quick. Or, you know, I'm not going to get them ready for the season. They're not going to be able to handle all the things that I want uh, them to be able to handle in such a short period of time. So I came up with, basically it's a survey that, that states, um, it's called, you cannot serve who you do not know. And I just had, you know, things like, what is your favorite music? What are you, you know, what is your all-time favorite movie? You know, do you come from a two-parent home or a one-parent home? Um, you know, how many brothers and sisters do you have? Um, who's your go-to person if you're in a bad situation? Who do you call? So that I know that person so that if there's, there comes a problem, I, I kind of know who, who they would lean on. And I would develop a relationship with that person too, j- along with the athlete. And just going along the lines of, of different questions. At the end, it's, you know, the last one was, do you put your shopping okay. cart up? And that was, you know, and that's the one thing that players to this day will always text me and go, man, I was at the mall today or I was at the grocery store. And, you know, you SOB, I had to go put this card up because I was not going to leave it out in the parking lot. It's the one, one question they, that they remember. And for me, it's, it's, you know, if you don't, you left the job undone. You just never finished the job. And that's, that's the one thing that kind of sticks in their head. And now I see that question all over the you know, social media. And that was like, you know, that was nine years ago when, when, when I put it in. And so it just, it, it gives me a reference point. I just got to Tulane. So I had to do it all over again, you know, a couple of weeks ago where I can go and just learn as much as I can because I don't have, I have such limited time to get to know them. And I had four weeks before to get ready for spring football. So I had four weeks to get these guys prepared for spring football because of COVID starting school late, Mardi Gras, spring break. There's so much go, goes on in New Orleans that keeps you away from your job. Uh, that we only had four weeks and we start spring ball next week. So that was just a, an, an easy way to kind of get to know these guys. Oh, that's so cool. I love it. I actually, I wrote that down that you can't serve who you don't know. I think for me, that's, I mean, that's something, if someone would have told me that in, when I was first starting as a coach, like in my mid twenties, that would have been even more so than I think like the, the training programs or the exercises or whatever I was always researching. That would have been the one thing that would have helped me out not just me, but just my athletes to have a better experience. And I remember, <laughs> I remember as a young coach, like being a little preferential or very towards like my star athletes uh, when I was coaching track. And the ones that I didn't, not only didn't like spend much time with coaching, but I think in the same vein, I also probably didn't try to get to know them very well either. Those athletes' performance suffered, not just because, I mean, you know, they were still doing the training, but I remember one athlete in particular, this I'm like incriminating myself as an early coach, but that's fine. You know, you you learn these lessons and you change and you realize things that are really important is um, one of the athletes was really frustrated and she actually wanted to go with a different coach because I wasn't spending time with her. And as soon as she went to a different coach, like her, her jump went up like three inches instantly because she was being seen, you know? Um, And I just, I don't know, that that's always been 
you know, ever since then. And then, then going away from track, which is a little more individualistic, to strength and conditioning, which is a little bit more collective. I remember something that Tony Holler had said, I guess it was just one of the conferences, is that try to make sure you say every athlete's name in the course of a session. And I, I just love that, that survey and having athletes feel like they're heard and gaining their trust. How do you balance that, though? I think so often, and I know I've started my time as a strength coach trying to kind of come in and be like this, you know, kind of like this hard ass and this, you know, try, going almost kind of away from when I was trying to be the athletes, uh, a lot of athletes, buddy. You know, I was like, oh, I'm a strength coach now. And, I, you know, you got to be, you, know, you got to be this. Um, and again, I, I think there's different, there's definitely different faces for sure. Um, but what's your what's your take between like uh, be, getting to know an athlete, gaining their trust, but also being a strength coach at the same time? What a strength coach is typically expected to be? Yeah, well, I think you know, one, I look back at all the athletes that I was like that, I, and whether it was in the private sector or in the college in, in, in the college sec, is the ones that I were that, that that trusted me at a high level, and the ones that had a very close relationship. Looking back, those are the ones that excelled the most. You know, and I think, you know, even walk on where I was a walk on that I became really close to ended up being a starter and earning a scholarship and going to the NFL. I mean, just it's, it's the closer the, that I had a relationship with them that was not about football or not about basketball, or not about baseball. But it was just a close relationship to where they trusted me at a very high level with a lot of stuff that was personal outside of the outside of the outside of sport itself that they developed i think at a, they developed at a faster rate than an athlete that i wasn't close to and i think that's where i kind of start seeing okay if, if i can get close to all of them i'm not going to have the exact the exact same ratio of success but it's going to be relatively high if i get them to trust me and get them to trust each other the chances of us winning are going to be a lot higher if i coach at a high level where they have a high understanding of what we're trying to accomplish that ingrains even more trust especially if you can, you can uh, validate it with data on the back end where they see themselves getting better. And then it, it comes at a point where you don't, have to, you don't have to grind. You don't have to be a yeller. You don't have to be an authoritarian. My athletes just let me, and they, they get tired of me explaining, coach, we, we trust you. Let's just, go, let's just do it. Let's just go. To, tell us after. Let's just go to work. And, you know, and, and when you have a short period of time, like I've had at Tulane, and I, we've gone, we progressed for, you know, a pretty high rate. Uh, in such a short period of time, because I try to be more personal. I try to, I try to have a lot of comedic value when I coach too, and not just be yelling and screaming at endlessly for no reason where I will joke around with them, but they know the line at the same time. There's this line that you don't cross over with me and they get that line. And it, for us, there's a standard, there's a standard of, of, there's a technical standard, there's a social standard. And we and and the players understand that standard, and once they understand it, they know when they when they don't rise to the to the standard, and so they start policing themselves and policing each other. So it it comes to the point where you don't have to be that old school guy who just has to walk in and be a hard ass every day. I don't have in in, in my line. I don't I don't I don't feel like I have to be because the athletes respect and they they want to work because they see results. Yeah, I know in your book, um, I kind of had two questions I was thinking about following that up with. I'll, I'll take this one. Is I know in your book, there was sur a survey that was given to the athletes on like what they thought was important when they picked the school um, that they were going to compete at or play at. And the, the strength coach and the reputation of the strength coach was really high on there. It's funny because yeah. compared to how much, you know, like Kier One and Flat has been on the show, like and we've had this discussion of how much... Like, how much does the strength coach, that strength program, ultimately, I mean, it can definitely hurt your performance if you screw it up, right. you know, but how much can it really make, how much of a difference can it really make? You know, if the team won the championship, how much can the strength coach be like, oh, yeah, from a, you know, sheer transfer perspective? And I certainly think there's definite, definite benefits that a good strength coach can provide. But uh, it almost seemed like how high the athletes rank that would you almost supersede that, you know, if that makes sense. Right. Well, that survey was uh, done by the marketing department at Louisiana Tech, and that we had signed the number one class in our in our in it was either group of five of our conference, and they ranked the reason why they came to Louisiana Tech was the reputation of the strength coach, and you know that was the fact that other play, you know players talking to the recruits when they came mm -hmm. in, you know, this is why you want to come here. This this guy is going to help you get help you start and help you get to the next level. 
and, you know, talked about the, about the way we train. And I think a lot of strength coaches, you know, and football coaches, they think if you have fun, that you're not working hard or not working at a, at a proficient high level. And I never wanted to be in this field to not have fun. I mean, I love what I do. And so we get a lot of work in and we have a great time doing it. And because most athletes don't like to train and that's what most strength coaches don't get that. Yeah. You love to train, but athletes, they want to play the sport. And 99% of strength coaches do not understand that fact as how can they not like to train? They're not you, you know, they're, you know, and, and so I always, that's always in the back of my mind. So, okay, how can we make it fun? How can we add certain games that are, that, that are going to help them on the field and put it in the training, in the workout itself so that they do have a, a good time. And, uh, you know, I learned at, um, a tag, it was a, it's a, it's a grade school, elementary school tag game. And, you know, we call it the circle of death where I put it around the logo in the middle of the field, a big circle. And we go in and, uh, on our agility days and there's like eight guys in the circle and I go, okay, Joey, you're it. And they run around until everybody's it. And then we'll do, you know, freeze tag where they have to do, to either jump over them or go between their legs to unfreeze them. And we'll do it for a certain, for, a, for at a time, at a certain, like we'll do it for like eight or nine seconds and boom, rest. And then we'll do uh, the amoeba tag where they tag, they, they touch one guy and then they have to lock arms. And those two have to run and tag another guy until they get to four and they break off the two amoebas. And so everybody's tagged in the, into the, uh, you know, in that circle of death. And they think it's like the funniest, the funnest game that they can play. They're laughing, they're joking. And it's, it's so much cutting. So, yeah, there, there's so much, uh, you know, uh, interaction as far as uh, cognition and, 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 and uh, reaction that you and the, the amount of force that you put on the field in movement is not like doing a regular cone drill because it's probably three times the, the force, the force rate in the ground is doing a cone drill, but they had a great time doing it. And it was, and we had, it's multifaceted of, of what we're getting out of it as, you know, in training. And, you know, but a coach would walk out there and go, oh, they're having fun. Cut that out. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Dude, I love that. I, I mean, I feel like everybody, I, not just every, I would say every strength coach, 100%, but even every sport coach who gets so far away from um, like just coaching youth sports in the sense that, and I mean, good, good youth sports, not like travel ball, not like high pressure parents, you know, breathing down your neck youth sports. I'm talking like kids having fun or just kids on the playground, to be honest. That's actually the ultimate where parents aren't involved and they aren't being judged by parents. But I, I had the good fortune, my, my daughter's five and we were getting, well, and my son, we're getting both my kids and just, just soccer, but it's not really soccer. It's more like play games and then roll a ball out partway through and kind of mess around with the ball. You know, like it's not, and, and I say, I say that because I, when I'm coaching it, it's, you know, we're, we're supposed to do these drills that are related to soccer, but the first time, like the first half, I'll just say, all right, we're just going to play freeze tag. And as soon as I say, and sometimes we'll play with the ball, but as soon as I just say go, like you just see, you just hear kids just like squeal with joy. <laughs> like, and it's what? like, how far have we come from that? Do you even remember what it's like to be like that? To be that kid what? who's just like, just <coughs> laughing and just having so much fun. Yeah. It, it, well, we, yeah. Well, one of you know, like like one drill we'll do because you know I don't I don't like to do a lot of preset cone drills, and it's 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 a chase drill where it's we have an op, a bunch of obstacles within a a ten by eight yard square, and they and they stack as a staggered start, and they run through the obstacles, and they have to they have to chase they stay right behind them you know the, the entire time, and 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 they only go. They go for six total seconds, and and it's such it's so competitive, and at the you know at the very end they have to run through a cone which is at the very end, and it's it's, it's so competitive that who you know even while they're chasing is the guy who's who's doing the doing the chasing to try and pass him up at the end, and you're never gonna get that out of a regular drill. It, it, that speed, that much force into the ground in cutting, um, and in movement, and I think that's kind of where our profession in, in football has gone astray is, is why there's so many ACLs and why there's so many Achilles and all of our, all of our training is straight line. 
straight line conditioning, straight line spe- linear speed, straight line conditioning. Well, that's not the game of football. It's acceleration. You know, it's stopping and reaccelerating for, constantly. And you, you know, and and I'll, I'll kind of argue with Tony Holler, and we have a good relationship about that. Even Dan, me and Dan Path have, have kind of argued about it in the in the past. Is you know, is the fact that yes, you want to get faster in acceleration. Yes, you need to get do some top some velocity work. Uh, one for hamstring strength, and and so that the the body's used to it is when they get on the field and get to velocity, which is not. Frequent as frequent as people think it is, but it's still needed. But most of our we don't do enough deceleration work in re, that's deceleration and reactive, um, so that it it basically bulletproofs the body on the field. And I think you know so that it, it with that because it's so eccentrically loaded, it's so isometrically loaded that the body's not used to it. So it gets on, they get on the field and they get all these non-contact ACLs, ACLs because all they've done is straight line work. And, and it's from an acceleration to, acceleration to a velocity perspective, and the body's not used to those loads repetitively. And the more that I, you know, I, like I said, I have four weeks to get a football team ready. And we, and we, you know, heavily influence with that to get them ready for spring ball because of the injuries of, the, of last year and the year before. And this team can't afford to have an ACL or, or an Achilles in spring football. You know, it, it would be a major setback. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about zero, yeah. you know, and that, and it was just of adding that to the workout. And, but the thing is they're doing it and they're having fun at the same time. I wanted to take a break from the show and briefly share with you the difference that performance herbalism can make for you. Several years ago, I had Logan Christopher, CEO of Lost Empire Herbs, on the show to talk about uh, hypnosis and mental training for athletes. Uh, While talking to him, I realized he also had an herbalism company. So shortly thereafter, I used the Phoenix Formula, which was my first product I bought from them. I had great results with it, not only increasing my energy and decreasing my need for coffee and caffeine, but I also noticed that it was making an impact on my lifts and my weight room numbers. I was having a great training experience. Shortly thereafter, I also got into the shiliagit resin as well as other herbs. And I don't look at supplementation the same way. I'm a strong believer in what Logan and his company are doing in looking for a natural resource to boost human performance. If you want to check out the herbs that I use personally from Lost Empire Herbs, you can head to www.lostempireherbs.com slash justfly. There you can get 15% off your order and they offer a 365 day money back guarantee. Definitely check them out. Let's get on back to the show. Uh, yeah, that makes me, um, I think about, you know, Jeff Moyer brought this up, and I've heard it from a lot of others, is this, we're learning more and more and more um, also about just how the role of, I, I, make it, I guess when you play different games, different than the game of football, the perception's different, but even just being able to perceive and react to another human or a ball or a decision is also a factor in getting hurt. And it I, it seems to me that the more robust you are with all sorts of different games and ways to react, that, that that's helpful. And then... Just being able to move in multi-directions, like like Lee Taft talks about, he'll, for any non-soccer sport athlete, uh, he'll play use soccer as a warm-up because it's multi-directional and it's reactive yeah. and it's fun. And it's like, I just look at all this stuff and I think, I, I as long as I've, <laughs> it's funny, as long as I've been an athlete, for sure, you know, I've always kind of taken, even I remember, I was obsessed with training. And I know you were too. Like, I was so obsessed with training when I was younger. I mean, I started, I was doing wall sits when I was freaking 10, like to try to jump higher. Um, but, uh, but I remember when I bought one, one book, it was like, I think it was, so maybe it was Don Chu's book on plyos. Maybe not. Cause I don't know oh. if it had agility, but I remember doing the plyos, but then I remember like looking at the agility stuff and I remember kind of messing around with it in my home basketball kind of court area and just something intuitively like, like, you know, like the cone drills, the lane drills, do an X on the lane. And I remember doing it and I just remember thinking to myself, I don't know what this is doing. Like, I know I'm doing this depth jump, but I definitely know what that's doing. I jumped like two inches higher in a week, you know, but this agility drill that's telling me to do, I just don't feel like anything productive is really happening here. It always soured me for that stuff, you know, and I always just feel like sport itself. The answers are found in nature, you know, it's like actually I mean, doing the thing. Even that's, you know, back in the day, we started, we started, we, we called it uh, when I was, well, when I was my younger years here at Tulane, when I first started my career, I was with Tom Shaw and, you know, he's coming from, from Florida state and they, they had this game called, you know, ghetto ball. 
And then when I got to LSU, we called it Tiger Ball. And then in my facility, they called my facility the ghetto, so we called it Ghetto Ball. And I had a guy on social media who, if I, I could have, like, strangled because he's, you know, a typical troll idiot, was like, oh, you know, you call it Ghetto Ball, da-da-da, like, like it was some kind of social injustice. And I'm like, just shut up. It's, it's if I call it Ghetto Ball because um, the fact that, one, all you need is a ball, a soccer ball, and that's it. And, you know, and I said, it's a sport, I said, cause it's a sport of, because I said it was a sport of kings and crackheads in my book. And he stayed like, like, like took it like, you know, for truth. They, oh, it's, it's only kings and crackheads play it. And I'm like, dude, it's because it's sport of kings because it involves like four different sports to play the game. You know, like you're, you utilize the rules in four different sports. And in fact, of, of moving in, in different planes and vectors of four different sports. And I say crackheads because it's so addictive. Mo- when you start playing it, most people are like they would rather play that game than than their than their <laughs> true sport. And because it's so fast and it's so much fun, and uh, like our play, and the thing is, like you can only play it for about 25, 30 minutes, and you're done. You're physically shot because you play so hard. And I'll split up a field into four different fields. Uh, going going uh, across the field, so I have four fields on the football field, and I'll put the linemen on one field playing it. I'll split the DBs and and um, and uh, receivers apart, so I don't have to listen to them argue. And and because there's so many of them too on a field, then I'll put the mids uh, on another field, and we'll play for 20 minutes. And you know, that's like the highlight of their month. You know, it's, it's just to play that game, but you know, for a fact of getting ready for a, for any sport, it, you know, from a conditioning standpoint, because they'll run harder than they'll ever run on a time sprint or on tempo run. And the fact that you're, you have to catch, you cut, you pass, um, you know, uh, you you know, you're, you're kicking a ball into a goal, you're throwing it into a goal, you're spiking it into a goal. Um, You have to play soccer if the ball is on the ground. Um, then you're, then you're just playing keep away when the ball, when the ball's up in the air and this, and, and it's, you know, and, and I have remember I had, when I was at LSU, I remember the, the head football coach walking out and going, pulling me over, Kurt, what the hell are you doing? You know, they're having fun. I was like, yeah, but coach, watch how fast these linemen are moving. You know, they're 330 pounds. And they're running. You're never going to see them run up and down the field like this ever. And he's like, yeah, you're right. Okay. never mind. He walked off. You know, so, you know, it's like you, know, you explain to them why. And then, you know, and then for the most part, you know, now most coaches are like, if you sit down and, and explain the physiology behind what you're trying to do, they, they, for most of them, they'll acquiesce and get it and go, okay, you're good. Do, do what you got to do. Yeah, I love that. It it makes me also think about um, Paul Cater does a lot of that stuff. I think he's got a, he he's on this podcast a little while ago. And, He's got a game called Alpha Ball that I think also blends actually a few sports together. Uh, it's just I just think it's so cool. Those I, I'll have to almost come up with like a little short list of those games up for my own library, just so I know that I have that that listed. And I yeah, it's so. Uh, or what Paul was saying was that the the gym um, or the the strength coach, and this is where I I, I think a lot about. Um, you could I guess we could think about we have shows about yeah different forms of speed and all the ways the weight room can transfer or KPIs, but at the end of the day, it's also something fundamentally different, and that's what makes it a beautiful thing. I mean, it's because it, it can be good for both things. It's going to help you be better and more robust in yeah. your sport, but it's also not your sport. And that's where those athletes, like, they have freedom to have fun. And I think that's what we're all, like, it reminds us why we're actually doing this. <laughs> and yeah. and it gives us a little bit more, um, I think it goes it gives us a little bit more joy for when our athlete, our athletic career is over, too. Like, to learn how like fun this all is, you know, cause I don't think a lot of people when they finish their college sport, I know swimmers for a fact don't do this cause swimming, you know, it's not like it's the college coaches fault. It's just these kids have been doing double days since they were 13. Like you think they want to swim anymore. You know? right. um, and I learned this, I mean, 20 years ago, I trained with uh, Brent McFarlane, you know, the Canadian national sprints coach, you know, over 20 years ago. And I was with all these Olympic track athletes and I was like the only non-track athlete, there i was just there to learn from him and we in like all these you know tag games i played with all these you know 100 and 200 and 400 meter sprinters from canada and and that's how that's that was his gpp you know and that was over 20 years ago and i look at kind of some of the stuff that i kind of do now 
And I'm like, wow, you know, I was doing that with Brent, learned that from Brent, you know, back in the nineties, you know, and it's over 20 years ago. And then I, I kind of look at like, like wickets now. We called them stride checkers 30 years ago. It was the same thing, but we put a paint stick on the ground. Stride checkers. Yeah. You know? And, and, you know, I, I look at like, you know, uh, um, um, the movement by Miyagi and all the, you know, you know, deceleration, come to balance, cognitive stuff. And, you know, 30 years ago, I didn't even know, I, I knew we should be doing it. And I called it pre-agility where, hmm. you know, we would accelerate, stop in different, in, 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 uh, in, in different planes. And, and I didn't have, a, I just knew, I was just intuitive, knew we needed, I needed to do this. I knew we need to, I need to work on eccentric work on the field, not just in the weight room. I didn't even know what to call it. So I called it pre-agility and I, you know, I kind of forgot about it until one of um, my, my former assistant coaches that was with me in my private facility is now the head strength coach of the, uh, of, of the Was- of Washington commanders now. And he goes, remember, remember what we used to do pre-agility? And he goes, and that was almost 30 years ago. And now, now people are making money off it and have a name for it. And, and just like, you know, wickets and, you know, it's, everything gets kind of recycled and with a new name. But I look at what it's still good stuff. It's just been recycled and, and retooled. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, I, there should be like a library. A book should be out like the library of recycled, like the history of all things that are modern in training. And uh, some someone was just going or it was just going around um, on social media a little bit, like this old turn of the nineteen, probably early or mid nineteen hundreds, like physical education, where like all these guys were doing all this like gymnasticy, like monkey bars and like um, I don't know what you call them. It's like a rock climbing grip, like kind of navigating these rock climbing grips, just doing all this like super athletic climbing stuff for a physical education calisthenics type course. And and this this stuff's always been around, or even with the like extreme ISO type stuff. Um, like the martial artists have been doing horse stance for gosh, who knows how long, thousands right. of years, right? Like, which is, it fits a lot of classifications of an extreme ISO uh, and not maybe the pulling down, you can only pull so far in that, but like, there's just so much that we've, we've done for so long. I, I just, yeah, renamed or, or whatever. Um, well, I was, I was going to say too, that, that was cool with the games with the track. Um, Cause I always felt too, I mean, I played basketball and then did track and I kind of figured out after a little while, once I got through college that, if I didn't play basketball, then something just happened to my spring. I didn't know what it was, but the the less I, if I just stopped playing sports and basketball, it just didn't turn out as well as it could be for my, my athletic ability. And then once I started coaching college track, we would always play a game on Wednesday in, in the fall or the off season. And then it, in my last year there, maybe last two, it got to the point I was a full-time college track coach for four years. Um, it got to the point where we would just warm up once or twice a week. We would warm up with a game for 20 minutes instead of doing, you know, a bunch of drills and just kind of the typical warm up stuff. And the kids just loved it. I mean, they, they, we got so much more out of it and I had fun too. I think I selfishly did it a little bit. Like we play ultimate Frisbee and stuff and I got to play too. So that's, that's the yeah. selfish part, but oh, no. those kids love yeah, it. At my age, I, I still, if, if there's a game, I still like get. A, I'll jump in and get a ball. Like even, even like the circle of death where it'd be, you know, uh, we didn't have enough in one group. And I and I always have my cleats on when I'm coaching, so I just jump in. I like I can't help I can't help myself if it's if it's like if it's if I have the opportunity to compete, I'm jumping in. I'll I'll be a hundred and still doing it. I don't I don't care, you know. Yeah, that was uh, with the men's tennis team at Cal. That was the evolution of how I was able to get trust from those coaches and grow myself, and and see what the athletes enjoyed. Um, that was such a great experience for me. It was eight years I worked with them, and as we kind of went forward, we we ditched the t- a lot of the typical warm-up stuff and we would just play games. And I would always play with them. I'd play basketball and talk crap and soccer yeah. and talk crap and to play. And then, of course, if someone scores on you, they're like, oh, you know, that's, they, I don't know, that's just a very, that that relationship is very a very special one because it's not like, like you said, there's lines that you draw, but right. it's, it's, I feel like that connection where it's like, hey, let's, let's play games together. You know, like I'm going to play with you. I just think that no, it, it, I think it, it, it goes, it adds on to that trust level that we were talking about before. Um, you know, that, you know, that one is like, I kind of, and kind of on social media, I got in an argument with this young coach about, you know, I still do a lot of sprint work and I, I get so sick of just seeing college strength coaches, especially football strength coaches, all they posted themselves, maxing out on squat, maxing out on bench, maxing out on power claim, but you never see them outside in movement. Mostly because they can't, 
because they're very terrible. They couldn't do a dynamic warm up without pulling something. Probably they couldn't. They can't teach it. They can't get out and do sprint work because they can't do it. And so it, I was teaching uh, starts. Uh, we're just doing some acceleration work. I was trying, showing them 45 degree shin angle, 45 degree upper torso angle, and I actually posted it the other uh, the other day. And I got and I do it in front of them. Like I'll I'll grab. I said, look, man, you have to push your knee down and get it at 45 degrees. Uh, if you can't, and and then I, I showed them, I don't want you picking your foot up. I want you driving back, and I and I did it real, and I did it really fast. And they're like, "Yeah, coach, that's, you're still pretty quick." And I would jump in and do, you know, I will teach it. I will show them myself, which they love because they're like, "All right, coach," especially most guys my age can't move at all, and I'm and I and I can pretty much keep up with our linebackers, you know. And I, I could buy time with our linebackers, and then I'll get it in in uh, certain drills. If it's an odd man out, I jump in and do the drill with them and, and, and I'll compete with them at a, at a pretty high level. And it shocks the hell out of them that, you know, they go, okay, oh, white guy can't move. And I'm like, yeah, I can move in a short, short area. <laughs> I'm not going over 20, but from zero to 20, I, I, you know, I can still, I can still coach. And, you know, and a lot of coaches will say, well, no, that's what, that's what you get an intern to do. And I'm like, no that would defeat the purpose of developing a bond with these athletes. Um, it would de defeat the purpose that I'll get an intern who doesn't have the technical ability that I have. And then the athlete's going to, uh, going to mimic a garbage rep because that's what the intern did. And, you know, and the, the argument on, online was like, well, you know, JB Morin and Dan path, you know, they, they don't, they don't teach by showing. And I went, I'm not JB Morin or Dan path. <laughs> that's how I have to teach, you know? Yeah. I think at the end of the day that I, I look at all these different skills and I think about the 80, 20, I've probably talked about this on this podcast. I mean, here's a recent show or maybe one that hasn't been released yet. It's fresh in my mind either way. Um, it was, Dan, it was Dan Cleaver. Yeah. It has not been released yet. It will be soon. Um, but the, like, basically if you're a strength coach, like it only, Ido Portal talks about this, like the generalist, like it only takes 20% effort to get 80% of the way there in a basic like skill that you learn. And why do we spend all this time just doing squats and de cleans and deadlifts and benches? Like there's so much more in this, you know, in this physical sphere that you can learn and you don't have to like devote, you know, you don't have to only sprint and not do, you know, if you love lifting, you don't have to not do lifting, but. But it goes, here's where it goes back to. And I can, I can, it goes back to, the moniker we call ourselves in this field, strength and conditioning coaches, strength and conditioning. So in the, from the sixties to the nineties, that's all you, you just, it was like heavy, heavy on the lifting aspect, you know, probably 70% was lifting 30% was just running dudes into the ground, probably at the athletic level. So, so I'm a strength and conditioning coach. I'm a, so it was like, you know, you can never be too strong. You can never be in too great a shape. And that's where it started. And then we haven't progressed from that fact that, you know, looking at, at football and breaking down needs analysis by position, by, the, by what, the, what the position needs, what the actually team itself needs, and then from a chronological, you know, uh, training age of what the athlete needs, we're still stuck in you have to lift it. Lifting, lifting is more. And we have destroyed our DBs and wide receivers across the country for years and made them slower and non-reactive because of them spending so much time in the weight room. And, and it's just killed their speed. You know, it's like, yeah, getting stronger to a certain extent will get you faster. But once you get to a certain level of strength, it's not going to help you at all. And, and street coaches don't want, they don't, they don't want to hear it especially equipment companies don't want to hear it because they got to sell more equipment. But, you know, like I only, our, our DBs and receivers, you know, spend maybe 40% of their time in the weight room and 60 on the field. And then that 40% is doing, a, you know, it's, it depends on what, what block we're in, whether it's ply, plyometric work, whereas we're doing some eccentric work or we're doing, you know, isometrics at, 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 of different vari variations and versions of them, you know, throughout the year. So it's not just straight, you know, typical what most uh, strength programs would be as far as lifting wise. Because I do think too, is we spend too much time concentrically in a weight room, 
not enough time eccentrically and definitely not enough time isometrically. And I think if we spent more time working on eccentrics and isometrics, our players would be healthier coming out of the season. They would, we wouldn't have all these. We wouldn't have, not all, we wouldn't have as many ACLs. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have as many uh, Achilles ruptures if we did more work in, that, in, in those genres. Yeah. But it goes back to our, the name of what we call ourselves. Yeah. Do you have any ideas on, I mean, I, it is kind of funny. Like, I feel like the, the field is kind of in a little bit of a, like, I don't hear a strength and conditioning coach as much anymore. Like, I, I guess I'll say I'm a strength coach or I'm, I don't know. I, I don't even know what I, like, strength coach and a track coach, I guess, if there was a, a word for those two things <laughs> as one. But um, I don't know, like, what, if you had to rename the field or just give it a term. Actually, I remember at Cal, we rebranded to athletic performance. Um, yeah. Towards my last year there too there. But I mean, most people, most people are like sports performance. I mean, I like, for me, it's, it's football preparation. We're getting you prepared for the forces of the game, you know? And so I, like for me, I, yeah, I, I told uh, an agent called me about an athlete uh, last week. He goes, what do you call yourself now? I said, uh, sport, uh, football preparation is sports science. That's what I call myself, you know? And because that's, you know, I'm not a, we're, there's so many moronic street coaches out there. I don't want to be classified as one of those guys of just a, a guy who walks around and yells and screams and has no idea what the hell he's doing and has all these injuries, but, but, but he's at a power five and they, they win and they just replace him with more, more, more uh, five-star athletes. He, he has a job. Uh, and then, and that's, that's a, a, another part of the problem is that, you know, in the SEC, you can be a complete moron, but you're going to, you're going to replenish the athlete you just killed with another five-star athlete. And so those guys, it's just, it's incestuous inbreeding where those guys have a GA or an assistant under them and they go somewhere else and just repeat the same moronic system of yelling and screaming and just lifting, lifting, lifting and running, running, running like we did in the, in the eighties and the, in the nineties. And it just hasn't, they haven't progressed. And they don't see a need to because the head coach tells them, look, I can replace you with anybody, you know, any other juice monkey. And we're just going to keep recruiting more five-star athletes. So from the top of, of a head football coach, not understanding science, not wanting to change now, but you look at Saban who's hired Rhea and hired, you know, who's got a PhD and hired, uh, um, a blue who's there. It's like a, a tandem. And then you look at the jets hired Brad DeWeese, who's got a PhD and they have two other PhDs on the staff too. Um, there, I think it's going to start to change mm-hmm. where we'll get smarter and brighter guys. We'll we evolve. And it's just, it's going to take, um, you know, one or two more power fives to hire better people. And they, and they have to win on you. If you don't, if you hire great people and you lose, doesn't help out a whole lot, and 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 when and my goal in this field is to do a high performance system where it's completely integrated, like like Altus and Exos is in Scottsdale, where the medical staff, PTs, ATCs, strength staff, it's one it's one system, one one room, and everything's athlete centered, and train at at a high level. As, as well as rehab at a, at a very high level and, and have it done at the power five level and win. And where we change the whole system of what is now strength and conditioning into more sport pr- preparation and, and, and uh, sport science. Yeah. I like that. I like that name, like f- physical pre- or football preparation and sport science. I like that. Um, it, it definitely fit. Like if, if this, if um, the title was actually named that, um, or, or for any sport, right? Like whatever you're doing, basketball, basketball preparation. Basketball right? preparation yeah. and sport science. Yeah. It, Baseball preparation and sport science. I feel like the way that people would prepare themselves for that job perhaps would be a little bit different. Like even as per oh, yeah. we were just talking about before, like just, do you just, did you get into this just because you like weights and that's it? You know, or is it, do you realize that this is actually much more multilateral than that? And I actually, I wanted to say too, I've seen you. Um, I forgot to mention this before, but I saw that you posted a video. Shoot, it might have been a year ago. You were running like a 10 or a 20 fly. And it was pretty yeah. quick. Like, I was really impressed. I I, I I, want to put that on the show notes, actually, so people can see. Because, I mean, what, how old are you now? And do you remember what the time was? I, I was curious. Uh, it, was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a 10-yard 
10 yard uh, fly with a 10 yard flight with a 10 yard run in. And I think I ran a one, two, Oh, I was trying to break. I wanted to break. I wanted to break into the one. I wanted to get like one, one, <laughs> I wanted to break down to, I really wanted like a one, one, seven. And, and it was, uh, you know, Mike Tucker over at Villanova, uh, had, you know, a uh, sprint tober. And I was like, man, Mike, send me one of those t-shirts. I'm a, <laughs> you know, and I'm going to, I'm a train, I'm a train for a month and run it. And that was the argument was, you know, some, some Yahoo was like, it's not about you. It's about your athletes. I said, I put a posted this just to show that as a strength coach, you need to get out of the weight room and move. And that you, you, from a technical standpoint, all sports are on a court or a field or on a track. They're not in inside a weight room inside of a rack and that you need to be competent in movement. And we're not as a, as a whole, as a field, we are not competent in movement. And at 58 years old, I want that you still can be competent in movement. You just have to get out and move. And I, you know, and, and that was my, the whole reason why I posted it was because I was so tired of seeing the guys like, you know, squat Tober or dead Simber or just power cleaning every day, the, a max bench effort. And it's like, all right, that is a small part of developing an athlete. And being out in the field is much a much larger part. But until we decide to start doing that, and social media is a big part of that, showing it on social media. So younger coaches go, oh, I need to get outside and perfect movement outside, not just in the weight room. And and that was my whole point behind that video. And I'll probably do it again this year, um, even though I still do squat tober just for, yeah. you know, I oh, squat yeah. like once a year and just for the hell of it. and. Um, you know, I still love to lift. I grew up in an Olympic training center. I love to train, but I, to get ready to teach a, a, a block that I'm getting ready to go into, I prepare my body for it. Just like an athlete. I go through all the things that we're going to do in that training block, especially outside so that when I teach it, they're not mimicking a, a garbage rep. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's critical. That's something that Paul Cater has mentioned a lot of times with his interns. He's like, man, I need interns that can demonstrate sprinting. He's like, <laughs> and yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. I, I also like that you said too, like you still do squat tober. Like it's, I think it's very easy to always pendulum the other way, you know, and, and it's good to, to be there, to be able to touch on all those skills, all those key yeah. components. I'll say I only squat that one month though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll tell you, I'm, I mean, you're yeah, 50 to you for you to run that time at 58 is awesome. I mean, I'm 38 and it's interesting. I haven't, um, I haven't really lifted, like done the traditional, like, like heavy comp compressive, like back squats or deadlifts or even hex deadlifts really in three years. Like I've just been doing a lot more, a lot more body weight stuff or, or versions of the lifts. Like a lot of the Bill Hartman, uh, crew, like have, have taught me how to, that isn't as compressive. And it was funny. Right. I, I measured, um, we were all measuring our height, like our heights, how tall we were like at Christmas or something. I don't know why, just to see which family member was taller. If my dad had gotten shorter, I don't know. But like. I was, I was actually, usually I'm like six foot and three quarters and I was definitively actually over six one. Like, like I would have been short. Like I think almost like my spine like lengthened out a little bit after years of just completely compressing it. Cause I mean, I had done all the powerlifting program, you know, early thirties yeah. and before like done all the powerlifting, all the lifts. And it was kind of interesting. It's like, huh, I, I, I don't know. I can't say for sure, <laughs> but a very good chance yeah. that perhaps, you know, not, not just lifting hard for most of the year. Um, and just doing a little bit of it has really had that impact on me. It's very interesting to see. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, but squat Tober though. Um, yeah, the once a year. All right. So uh, I do want to ask you, you mentioned, you know, typical strength and conditioning. Um, and I, I, this is something that I think is an interesting question is what, what is your take on toughness, uh, grit, um, you know, mental strength, as far as you convey that to the athletes in what I mean, you do? I think. I think the standard is where your strength comes in. And now I've worked again, I've worked, I've worked with a lot of uh, military guys and, and I, I look at you know, just stuff that just Navy SEAL quotes and what, you know, stuff with Jocko Willings type, type of stuff that he does every morning on, on social media. And, and, you know, you want to become tougher, be tougher. It's, it's a choice. And you know, you're not going to beat an athlete into the ground 
and make him a tougher person. Unless unless you have like months and months and months of straight training like the Marines do, and they'll just beat people senseless until they all they just give in to be okay. I'll be I'll be this guy. Um, and it's just conveying like holding the athletes to a standard constantly, and in every every aspect of training. And you can do it without being a a, a real hard ass because if you're conveying the why and how it applies to their position and getting better, they will give you a hundred percent. You know, I've, I've even, I've had with injured athletes who, who are coming, you know, and they're, and they're in a depressed state. And I'm like, okay, this is why we're doing this. This is how it's going to help you. And I can, you, you can see their attitudes starting to change. And as long as the standard stays high, you do not back down from the standard, just like being a parent. You know, if you, if you do not discipline your child to a certain extent, your child's going to grow up to know I can do whatever I want and not become a, and, and become a very terrible human. And if, if you have a standard, the child will always, will always raise the standard. Now they'll always try you to try to be a little bit below the standard, but as long as you don't back down, they will always uh, train at the, at the level of that, of that standard. And that, that's it. You, you can do mat drills, you know, all day long, scream and yell, but the guys who who have a high pain tolerance and have and, and love to compete, they're always going to be at the top. Then there's that mid that big mid group who just all right, I just have to get through it, compete to it at a decent level. And then there's that bottom ten percent who I'm not I'm not doing this. I'm going to give up and I'm not going to put my body through it at all. And they're always be at, the, at that bottom ten percent. Now what's going to happen is they'll be a better conditioned bottom ten percent. But they're not, they're still not mentally tough. They still go into a game and they break, a lot of times they'll break down uh, during a game because I don't, I don't, there are very few in my career, and I've been around for a long time. I've I've seen very few true gamers who just kind of didn't do anything and then walked on the, walked on the field and then competed at a super high level. They always had flaws once they got on the field, you know, whether it's they dropped the ball and they mentally, fold or they get a penalty and mentally fold or they are they do something wrong on the field and they get and they uh get reprimanded when they walk off the field and fold you know it's you know they're just they're mentally weak from that from that aspect and you're not i've not seen in my lifetime maybe one percent maybe pull themselves out of it and, and get to that middle percent and and i haven't seen hardly any go from bottom ten percent to the top 10% ever. Yeah. It, it's like every time you do that stuff, I think it, it highlights the people who already are like mentally, t- like the mentally tough yeah. kids who are naturally that way or had, you know, an upbringing that helped them to become that way as well. I believe they can, they can, those are the people who will handle it. But yeah, you can make someone do all the wind sprints you want who isn't. And it's not going to like, it's not going to be this like miracle. They're all of a sudden going to be like, they all go flip, they all flip this switch and all of a sudden I'm going to do this really hard. But in training, if, if you're working on, you know, one aspect of training and you're explaining it to them in detail of why it's going to help them, that person who's typically mentally weak will give you, and, and they, and when they buy, when they trust you and buy into it, they give you, they will give you effort in in that in that aspect, and I've seen that. I've 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 had kids who, you know, where the coaches like give up on him. He's probably probably not going to make it. He's this. He's that. And just sat down and 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 talked to him from a human level, and not like a football player from you know as a human aspect and treating them like a human and not an athlete. And then worked with them and explained to him why. And then they see the results of of that training. And then they became better athletically because of that and then grew with having more confidence and then kind of developed into a better, better player and better person Mm -hmm. from that aspect. I've seen someone grow, but not from just doing mat drills or beating beating them into the ground on punishment for not doing this or that. It's helping them develop as a person. I've seen them grow. And I've seen some guys who were gangbangers who, you know, were if they stayed doing what they were going to do, we're going to we're going to die before their sophomore year in college. And 
brought it down and 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 to where they ended up becoming all conference drafted guys and and changed their entire life but not it was it wasn't we weren't beating it out of them it was it was t- talking to them from a human aspect and not an athlete aspect yeah i love that it's like that's the thing where it's like that's where i keep like you know, just for me, that's why I like keeping the strength coach. I don't say I don't say strength and conditioning coach as my brand myself. I don't. I wouldn't call myself an athletic performance coach in in some sense. I I actually like strength coach just because I feel like it is universal to human principles. You know, it's like like you're a human being. Like be the strongest yeah. human being you can. This actually there's part of this that has nothing to do with sport, but that's what makes it amazing. And you becoming a stronger human will help you to be better at your sport if you so choose. Um, I just, I, as I talk to you, I just, I, I get such a great picture of that human side. It's like the games. That's such a human thing. Talking to you as a human, not as a football player or, or whatever your sport is, you know, but just right as, as you are like, that's, I just think that's really powerful. And I think that's like that picture of the servant that we want to be on the level of, of helping our athletes. Yeah. And it, it- when you see a kid who, like I said, who's you're, you're thinking he's probably going to, he'll probably get a bullet in his head before he's, before he's 20 years old and you see him flip a switch because you're, you're talking to him, you, you throw at, you know, being an athlete out the way, you should talk to him from that human level and you see them turn their life around. You see them get involved in certain organizations that you would never thought they would get involved in. You see them turn their family life around with their family. Then you see them training at a higher level, playing at a higher level, and then and then ended up getting ended up getting drafted, you know, and then going playing into a Super Bowl, you know, and and which has happened that you know you know you know uh, you know for me in the last the last three Super Bowls, and with athletes and you you know where people are like ah you know he's not he's never going to make it. And, and I think that goes back to what we're talking about with, you know, if you have that high trust level with your athletes, I've seen more guys make it that I've had a high trust level than the ones where I didn't spend the time and get to know them from that personal human level. You know, and I think about, and, and, and when you do, I had one athlete, you know, when you do, you, they do perform at a higher level. I had an athlete, you know, cause they come back to me, a receiver who, had a you know had a high draft grade as a junior and then senior year didn't do well didn't do as well and he didn't get drafted and I and I told him I said, man if I'd have been just a little harder on you it it, it would have made a difference in, in in your life and he told me, he said coach no you were hard on me as I wasn't hard on myself that's why I didn't succeed so he I was looking at it like okay I could I took the a lot of the blame for kind of what happened to his career. And then he came to me and said, no, 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 that's on me. You did everything. You provided the, the, the leadership, you provided uh, the trust, you provided the training. I didn't do my part. And so for me, that's a win when he realized at the end of the day, he didn't blame the institution or the head football coach or the strength coach for why he didn't, didn't make it in the, in the NFL. He, he turned around. So he looked at himself and said, it was me. Wasn't 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 anything else, Kurt? In your in your book, um, one I remember one story you had. Uh, it was a linebacker who I believe you had coached who uh, later on was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy, and I believe he had said something to you about getting him um, to believe in himself. Um, what um, if you want to share anything about that? But I, I what I was going to ask you is, and this goes with what you just said, was the process of getting athletes to believe in themselves. Um, you know, uh, along with getting to know them and talking with them, um, is there anything further on that, on that, on the level of get of self-belief and empowering them there? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if it's just, I'm such an incessant reader about everything, different genre, different, uh, I'm military guys, you know, presidents, uh, business leaders. I read, you know, any, anybody who's been ultra successful in business and in any, any, in, you know, in any career. And just what they, you know, kind of how they become the person they became. And I think it's just because I'm such an avid reader, it's things just come 
natural or intuitively to me. I don't know. I just, because I've had a coach ask me, how do you get in an interview for a job? How do you get what I hear that you get out of athletes from other coaches? And I'm like, ah, I don't know. I just, I, for me, it's just me. I'm me every day. I'm the best. I try to, I try to be the best version of me every single day because there are a lot of people that are not only my family, but athletes are counting on me to be that person, you know, to pay bills. And, um, you know, it's like that, that kid that you're talking about was a linebacker. who's a walk on. And, you know, it was just, I treated him like he was a starter and I treat, you know, um, you know, I'm not going to say all walk-ons, walk-ons who stay on the team, not ones who just want to collect a shirt, a shirt and then walk out the door and leave and say they played football at that university and they didn't. The guys who, who give up a lot to walk on, I would give everything I had for them. And, and, a lot of, and a high percentage of those guys ended up starting at Louisiana Tech. Hmm. And, you know, he, he ended up with, a, with muscular dystrophy, and it was a, uh, a, a very uh, low percentage of, of, uh, of one. And, and he, you know, ended up he, – he wanted to be a Navy SEAL after college. And he ended up like doing CrossFit and like just destroying his body in CrossFit because that was his mentality because he couldn't go into the SEALs. And he's a, he's a, he's a, he, uh, uh, he went and GA'd in college at Tennessee Tech. And now he's the head street coach at Ruston High School in, in Ruston, Louisiana. Like he's, he's a street coach now, loving life, doing what he feels is what he should be doing. And, and, um, and, and, and to a certain extent, coaching kind of in the style that, that I coached them. And so it's kind of, kind of passing it along. And I think that's the one thing that coaches who are under me always move on and they develop their own, their own style and their own personalities, but it's still in the same manner as, as kind of how we've been doing things under, under my leadership at whatever university I've been at. And they, and they, they, they teach and train at a level of, uh, from a human aspect, not that, you're just here to win football games so I can move up to the next, to the next level. Yeah. I love that. It's, um, yeah, I think that it's very easy, uh, in athletic performance or whatever the word for it is, <laughs> um, just to get sucked into reading only athletic performance stuff, you know, just like, it's almost like everyone starts kind of, well, I like not everyone, but a lot of people like, like, like lifting weights and like the development that comes from that. But it's like you have to get outside of that. You have to get into all these other realms, and you know, I look at your reading of and and reading of things on leadership and how you've absorbed that. And I just think that's awesome. Um, well, just like uh, talking with Brett Bartholomew, and Brett and I talk a lot about different different aspects of of the social aspect of of being a coach. And you know, just going back and reading books instead of buying new books, go back and read the books you already mm -hmm. bought. Yeah, because you've already forgot half of it. You know, and and I'll go back and read stuff that I read in like 19, you know, in the 1980s and go, ah, oh, this still is pertinent to, the, to today, you know, and, and go, wow, I forgot about this or I forgot about that. And, and it goes even with training. Like you go back to something, you know, uh, I'll case in point, Zercher squats. I put it on, you know, videoed it, put it on social media and people are like, you know, why are you squatting that way? Why are you doing this? Why, why this? And why that? And I've never seen that squat before. I said, well, that, they've been doing it since like 1890 something, <laughs> you know, they didn't have racks. They just would get underneath the bar and pick it up off the floor. And that's in the crook of their arms. And, you know, for me, it was need base because all of our linemen would have wrist injuries and hand injuries playing and we couldn't front squat. So I'm like, you know, because, and I had so many with like from punching their wrist was just so beat up. I just, let's just search a squat. And just, I'm tired of like fighting the front squat thing the rack position or, mm -hmm. you know, having, you know, former injuries, let's just put it in the crook of your arm. It's, it's better for linemen anyway, as far as core stability. And then I get in all these arguments. Well, why don't you use this bar? Why don't you use that bar? I was like, well, I don't have those bars. Yeah. <laughs> I have a straight bar and that's, you know, I know my athletes way better than, you know, my athletes. So, you know, that's why. And yeah. And I had to, Someone do asked me uh, yesterday, you know, oh, you know, I don't understand why I don't use a safety squat bar. Why don't you use the pitch shark? And I'm like, well, from from a biomechanical perspective, it doesn't offer what I what I want these athletes, uh, you know, to be able to to perform right now. 
Yeah. I like, I like what you said. And I actually have to have this be the last little bit because I'm running out of time here. But I do, I want to make this such a point is I love what you said about the books and going back. I think that in sports performance, especially, it can be this giant contest to see who can like read more. And it, you forget so much of what you read. I mean, I have tons of books on my shelf that I, I guarantee if I picked it up again and read it again, I'd be like, whoa. Like, I remember actually Easy Strength was a book where I think I probably have read about three times. And it's one of the, like, and every time I read it, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I forgot about that part. Forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, I did the same thing. If someone asked me an Easy Strength question, and I was like, oh, let me go back and read through it. And I went, that was a, one of the, uh, uh, Ty Webb at Purdue's asked me about Easy Strength and End Season. I said, hold on, let me, give me, give me, like, tomorrow, and let me read through it. And I was like, oh, man, I forgot about all this stuff. And, uh, you know, refresh my memory on it. It was the same. I was the same way with one by twenty at one point, where I kind of forgot all the nuances about one by twenty, and you know, it's everything's everything gets rehashed. Everybody wants to be the smartest person in the room. Everybody wants to, you know, be you know, even on on social media, the way they word things so scientifically correct, and the science is going to change. You know, it's going to change all the way around till we come back to you know the full three sixty probably, and you know, it's just and people get so caught up in. And and fighting over a lot of things, and and we're not even and so we're, we we haven't progressed. If you're still fighting over whether you should front squat or back squat, or you know, or should should you power clean or deadlift, then we have not progressed as a field. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Could not. And could that's not where we're, and that's where we're at. We're still stuck in the '80s. You know, it's like okay, you know, how are you progressing your athletes from block to block? You know, our most street coaches won't even test because they're scared. That especially in, in they'll test on on lifts, but they don't want to test on anything outside because they don't want to know. Yeah, it's um yeah, it's so important to just be able to kind of get outside and and continue to like yeah see doing different things. I, I um that's definitely been something that I've benefited from. So, uh, Kurt, thank you so much, man, for being on the show. Sadly, our time is out. I had a couple other questions, but maybe we can get to those some other time. And yeah, thanks yeah. for being on. Thanks, brother. Thanks for tuning in for another show. If you enjoyed the episode and what we're doing with this podcast series, you can help us out by leaving us a rating or a review on whatever you're listening to, iTunes, Spotify. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. I will see you guys next week with another great guest.